Second Chronicles chapter 20, if you will. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. We will continue reading in this chapter as we go through the message. But I want to speak on a particular subject that will affect every single one of us at at least one time in your life, if not several times in your life. And so this is going to be a very practical message that all of us can gain from, because you too will reach a time in your life, just like we see here, Jehoshaphat, gets to that place where he does not know what to do. You ever been there? You don't know what to do. Now, John, you you are a retired attorney and you're shaking your head. And I'm thinking there's many cases you were saying, I don't know what to do. But I'm getting paid so much, I got to act like I know what I'm I'm doing. Okay, that's right. See? Fake it while they pay it. See, that's the the attorney's motto right there. And um, you get to those times in your life where you're not sure what to do. And Jehoshaphat and all of Israel come to that stage and in their history. And we're going to find exactly what they did and how God answered And let me just say, when you come to the end of your rope, you have not come to to the end of God's rope. Years ago, when I was a teenager, someone said, when you come to the end of your rope, tie a knot, hang on, and look up. God is always the answer in crisis, unless we forget he's always the answer in crisis every area of life. When things are going well, he's still the answer. When things fall apart, he's still the answer. If you found that portion of scripture, if we could stand as we read the first 12 verses, as I read, I might give a little commentary as we travel along. In verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after this, that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other besides the Ammonites. Now, if you read that correctly, it is not just mentioning three people groups coming against them. It says, uh, with them other. So besides the three nations that are mentioned, there are other nations. It's as though that everyone that Israel has made the journey from Egypt to Israel and has passed through and did not do war with, have gathered themselves to wipe out this new people who have taken over the land of Canaan, who have called themselves the Israelites. And they have gathered themselves together. In verse 2 we read, and it says, And there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea, on this side Syria. And behold, they be of Hazar, 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 John, you're the lawyer, you should pronounce that, 
but Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. Now, I know where in Gedi is. That's near the Dead Sea. I've, I've uh, spent a night there. When it's talking about beyond the sea, it's not talking the Sea of Galilee. That's up north. It's talking about the Dead Sea, which is closer to Syria. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord, even out of all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. They gathered them together for a prayer meeting. They said, we have no way of dealing with this problem. We've got to get God involved. And they all come. Verse 5, And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God who dis drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever. And they dwell therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence... For thy thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. Now, verse 9 encapsulates almost a whole chapter of what Solomon prayed when he dedicated the temple. And he would go and say, Lord, if evil comes upon us, if thy people who are called after thy name will humble themselves and call on thy name and seek thy face, then wilt thou hear from heaven. And then he would go on and say, if pestilence comes, or if enemies come, or if this comes. In verse 9, every item that Solomon included in that chapter is encapsulated in that verse 9, in that one verse. And now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab... And Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let the Israelites invade when thou camest, when thou, when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, and you may be seated. Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts and give us the truth that would be helpful to all of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And Colby, can we just go to this? Something is uh, amiss, a foul, and this is not working as, as it should. It's never had that problem. Okay. What to do when you, we don't know what to do? 
What do you do in life when you don't know what to do? When you can't pay your bills. Now, I'm sure every one of you are super prosperous and uh, getting along fine, but the reality is almost every young couple at some time in their life go through portions of their life where, you know, they have more bills than money. They don't know what to do, where to go, how to pay the rent, how to put gas in the car. <laughs> I think maybe today people are trying to decide that. I went and bought some fuel for a rotting lawnmower and put $40 worth of gas in my lawnmower. It's like, you're kidding me. Okay. These are different days. Are you working on that? Okay. He's working on it. Uh, you don't know what to do. What if, what if your husband or your wife pass away? What, what do you do? How do you go through life? How do you, how do you make it? What if death came unexpectedly? And you're left. And there's, there's life to live, but you're not sure how to do it. Maybe turn the monitors down. It's just getting wacky. What do you do when your kids, who you love so much, grow up and be teenagers? And, and, and then they don't listen to you like they did when they were children. And you're not quite sure how, how to solve that. You, you, you say, do this. And they say, no. And you go, what do I do next? Uh, I know. I, I would do what my father did, but I'd wind up in jail. I can't do that. You know, it's a different day. You, you got to figure out. No, my father never abused his kids. But what do you do? What do you, what do you do when things, you're facing problems and you don't have answers? You know, you don't know how to, Take the next step. What if your marriage is in trouble? You know, everyone, you grow up, you get married, you live happily ever after. And that's, I don't think anyone gets married thinking it'd be anything other than that. And yet, in so many lives, it seems like they never get to that happily ever after stage. What, what do you do then? How do you solve that? How do you? Where do you go from then, from there? Where, how do you get by? Your life seems to be falling apart. You're just barely holding it together, living day to day to day to day. You just don't know what to do. Now, what we do when we don't know what to do is what determines whether we end in success or failure. When you get to the place when you don't know what to do, whatever you do at that point, is going to determine whether or not your life goes forward successfully or your life falls apart. You have to make the right choice at that strategic time in your life. Much of life, you can sort of just live it, and it, it, it just has a way of coming together. But there are times where it doesn't work that way. And what has always worked doesn't seem to work now. What do you do? Jehoshaphat and all of Israel finds themselves in just such a status. 
They come against a great army of several kingdoms that have allied themselves together with one mission, and that's to wipe out Israel. That's their goal. That's their objective. Now, Israel has no wealth at this time, at this stage in their history, that they're interested in. They are just interested in wiping out these people in their mind that do not belong in a country they've had for centuries. And so they come, up, they come together for this one purpose of wiping them out. And Jehoshaphat, a godly king, one of the few godly kings in all of Judah. And he, he says, Lord, we don't know what to do. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are on thee. What do you do in that case? Let me suggest a few things found in our text. First of all, you look steadfastly to God. Notice verse 13, if you will. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones and their wives and their children. See, the last phrase in verse 12 was, but our eyes are upon you. And so all the families gathered themselves together, stood together. The inference is they're not just standing there looking at each other. The inference of this verse is they're standing there as families looking to God. They're not sharpening their swords. They're not... Uh, making manufacturing spears. They're not building shields. The enemy is that close. There is no time for any of that. They can't go mine the minerals that will produce these weapons. They, they do not have that time. They do not have the resources. They do not have the manpower to go against this king, but they gather together husbands and wives and their children, and they stand together with their little ones looking up to heaven, and our eyes are on you. They look to the Lord. I would suggest there's a few things we need to do when we come across these stands in time, these, these little time places in, in, in a lifespan that we get to the place where even good families, even good Christian people come across things like, I don't know what to do. I just got laid off. Uh, maybe it's in a season where, where there's not a help wanted sign in every place you look like there is today. But all of us remember a day where it was hard to get a good job. Now they're prevalent and abundant, and what do you want to do? It's available. They'll treat you. They'll train you. They'll give you a signing bonus. We've never had things like that happen in America, but that's where we are now. But it won't stay that way. You acknowledge your inability. He says, we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do. In verse 12, God, we are in unable to face this. We have inability. We cannot do that. 
You know, it's so easy to be self-confident when we're with other people. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And then you go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, help me. Please help me. Lord, I'm not doing great. I need your help. You know, but we're not always like that when someone says, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. And by the way, that's my pat answer. I always say that. I'm doing great. By the way, I, I always do feel like I'm great. Not that everything's going well, but I feel great about life. I have a, a wonderful confidence in God's resources, wonderful confidence in God's ability. Uh, things could be falling apart personally, but I don't think it's going to stay there because I'm God's child. He's, I think he's going to take care of everything, and he always has. I believe he always will. Acknowledge your inability. Do you ever get to the place where just before God you just humble yourself? Just humble yourself? Many years ago, probably about 12 years ago, uh, it was shortly after, um, you know, there was the downturn in the properties and all those things. And, and in ministries, quite frankly, all across America... Mega churches were losing their buildings. They just built a building and then economy went squash. And all of a sudden, their benefactors, their faithful, loyal members, and some of whom had wealth, all of a sudden didn't. Didn't. I was reading about one of the ten wealthiest men after 2008 in Russia. He was worth $20 billion, and then when things collapsed, he was worth nothing. How do you go from $20 billion to nothing? He couldn't handle it. He committed suicide. If he'd known Jesus, he would have said, well, we'll make it. We'll make it just fine. Money isn't what makes us in life anyway, is it? Life consisteth more than what a man possesseth, the Bible tells us. Acknowledge your inability. Get to the place where you say, Lord, I'm having trouble with my marriage. I don't know what to do. I'm having trouble raising my children. I don't know what to do. I'm having trouble being successful with coworkers. I don't know what to do. I'm having trouble in a ministry leading that I don't know what to do. I'm having trouble with my family and my brothers and sisters. I don't know. Just get to the place where you confess things before God and say, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to say. It seems like every time I say it's the wrong thing to say. I don't know. We have to get to the place where we confess our inabilities. I don't know what to do. Then look patiently and expectantly to God. Patiently, but our eyes are upon thee. All Judah stood before the Lord. We're looking at you, God. You're the answer. You're the source. Now, God hasn't said anything. God hasn't suggested he will help. God hasn't... Uh, brought a miracle into their presence. God has not brought a prophet to their door yet. God has 
been silent, but they know he's got the answer. You ever pray and pray and pray and you know God's silent, but you still pray because you know he has the answer. He hadn't brought it to you yet, but you know God has the answer. Look patiently, our eyes are upon thee. All Judah stood before the Lord. And then expectantly, they were waiting, expecting a word from the Lord, and they got one. They're all standing there, Lord. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, and we're waiting with expectancy, and we know you have the answer. Now, here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say how long they stood there. You know, we'd all like to think, well, they they said that, and then the Lord just sent a prophet right away, and the answer came. Ten minutes later, they're all praising God, because wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if it always worked that way? Have you ever prayed and prayed and prayed? And God did answer But sometimes you prayed for months and sometimes you prayed for years for that answer and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and... See, God God doesn't have our timetable. Someone asked me years ago at a meeting, what's the most frustrating thing about ministry? And I said, it's God's timetable. I got one and he's got one and they're different. It's just frustrating, waiting on God. I started being a pastor when I was 21, but I still know life is a vapor. So I wanted God to hurry up because I have one life, and it's, it's going through the sands of time, you know, and uh, my days are numbered. And, Lord, I, I, what do you mean waiting for years for one answer? What, Lord, Let's build it today. Let's, let's do it now. I'm always glad that we have a good staff here at Grandview Baptist Church because I would just jump at everything, get a good idea, jump at it. Let's do it. And they'll say, do we have the resources? Oh, I don't know. You think it's the right time? Uh, why do you bring that up? <laughs> They bring me down to earth into reality. That God may want us to wait a little while. I, pr- I appreciate that aspect, though. I don't totally understand it, but I appreciate it. Because I still want God to just answer quickly. Look patiently, expectantly, God, expectantly. They're waiting for the Lord. But notice verse 14, if you will. And the Bible says, Then upon Jezazel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mathaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asap, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. Here we go. You wait long enough and God will manifest himself. God will show up. You're his child. If the child waits for his father, the father will answer. And we are his children. He loves his children. 
more than we love our own children. And if we wait on God, he will answer. I don't mean you get an audible voice. I don't mean your neighbor comes by and says, God sent me over here to tell you something. I I don't know how it's going to happen, but I do know this. God will give his child an answer. And you'll know what to do because he'll tell you what to do. Wait long enough and God will manifest himself. Boy, if there's just one thing you take from this whole message, just grab a hold of that truth. You wait long enough humbly before God and he will answer his children. In verses 15 through 17, we see that they realized that the battle was the Lord's. Aren't you glad that God takes care of his children and he solves our problems and he protects us? The battle is the Lord's. How many times you see that in the Old Testament? The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And yet we're in the New Testament days and we forget that. Like if if I can't do it, it's not going to get done. No, the battle is still the Lord's. Sure, he uses humans to bring about solutions, but God is going to intervene. Notice what it says in verse 15. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Now this is God using a messenger to let remind them whose battle it is. So this is God telling Jehoshaphat and all of Israel having assembled together that he's got this. God's got this. And that's what he's saying. God is just sending a messenger to say, hey, fellas, don't worry. I got this. I think every once in a while, a Christian ought to look at another Christian and say, I don't know what your problem is, but God's got this. You don't have to worry about it. He's in charge. He's got it. I don't know how that sounds theologically, but I know it's accurate. God's got this. He will take care of it. He will settle it. He will answer you. Verse 16, Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Oh, that's the best kind of fight, isn't it? You don't have to fight in this battle. Oh, you know, that reminds me of the when we come back on the white horses for the battle of Armageddon and Jesus comes at the end of it. All we get to do is ride a horse because he wins the battle. We just get to watch it. And I'm looking forward to that. I've never rode a horse well. Never. I'm looking for, I've, mine's probably going to go to water while the rest go to Armageddon. I don't know. They never follow my will. <laughs> they humble me. 
tomorrow. Notice verse 17, ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourself in a race, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. The most wonderful attitude you can ever have in a believer's life is God confidence. Not confidence in your ability, not confidence in your resources, your, uh, you know, people you know, your talent, your ability, uh, your friends, but, but to have confidence in your God. Not because you're the next Billy Graham or some special missionary, but you're just his child. And he loves you. He loves all of his children. There's no respecter of persons with God. So you don't have to be famous. You don't have to uh, accomplish great things in the Christian life. You, You could be a struggling believer, but... He loves you. If you'll look to him, the battle's the Lord's. He says in these verses, first of all, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Be not afraid, nor dismayed. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Fear. How many things in the Christian life stop you because of fear? Oh, I should share my faith, but I'm afraid. Oh, I should do this, but I'm afraid. I know I should give, but I'm afraid. I I know I should be more out there and serve the Lord and maybe teach a class or maybe do this, or but I'm afraid. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but the power and love and a sound mind. So where did that fear come from? Our adversary, that's where that fear comes from. It doesn't come from the Lord. I was sitting in my living room in Arkansas, Conway, Arkansas, when I'd already decided that the Lord had directed my wife and our two very young children at the time to uh, leave Arkansas, the Bible Belt, and come to Oregon uh, the state with the highest percentage of unchurched people, and I didn't understand what that meant. Now, you have to understand, I, I lived in Arkansas, northern Arkansas. Every county in northern Arkansas was a dry county. What's that mean? You couldn't buy a drop of alcohol. And the first time I come here, I'm walking down a grocery store, and I don't even know it until I look around. I'm in the wine aisle. And I've lived in a dry county, a dry state, all northern Arkansas. There there was no alcohol you could buy. There was no liquor stores. There was no anything. You couldn't buy beer. I tell Vicky, you can't do that. No. <laughs> it was all dry. I'm walking across the street one day, and a guy waves me down. 
He said, where can a guy buy a drink? I said, well, you can go 150 miles that way, and you can get in Oklahoma. You can go 150 miles that way, you can get in Missouri. Or you can go about 170 miles that way, you'd be in Tennessee. Or you can just backtrack to Louisiana. They got a bunch there. He looked at me, you kidding? No. Of course, I could have told him on my cul-de-sac there was an Episcopal preacher, and he had a garage full of it. So it's probably you could you could go visit my neighbor. He had plenty. Don't be afraid. I was sitting in my living room, and I was doing my study, and I got to thinking, "Am I sure I want to go 2,400 miles from home?" And I'm reading Isaiah, and Isaiah 41, I think it's verse 13, says, For I am the Lord thy God, for I the Lord thy God will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. (laughs) That's what I needed to hear that day. For I the Lord thy God will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. And that was God speaking to me that day. And I said, God's got this. It's going to be just fine. Don't be afraid. Psalms 118, verse 6, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Don't be afraid. Secondly, follow God's instruction. In verse 17, he says, tomorrow go ye down against, verse 16, tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they will come up by the cliff Ziz, and thou shalt find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. In other words, you, you gotta follow God's instructions. So Lord, speak. And he does. Uh, Lord, that's not what I was looking for. Speak again. No, whatever God's instruction is, you follow. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. It's it's just that simple, right? It's the Christian life. Follow God's instructions. A lot of people want God to give victory, but they never want to follow his instructions. Lord, I want to be financially blessed. Tithe. Well, I don't want to do that. Jesus said, give, and it shall be given unto you. God always rewards your step of faith. He'll save you. You call first in faith, he saves. You give, he gives. You go, he blesses. You act, and God follows through. You keep his instructions. You want good family spirit, go to church. Now, I've been a pastor since I've been 21. I see this all the time. Here's a family that struggles. They, they can't even get along with each other, and they say, we, we need to get in church. They get in church. God changes their whole life. Now they don't need church. And so what's going to happen? It's going to fall apart. It falls apart. The wheels come off. They forget 
They didn't just magically turn into a great family because they showed up in a church. God did a work. And God does a work when God's people assemble together. And that's why it says in Hebrews 10, 25, And not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Follow God's instructions. You want God's blessings upon your lives. You read and obey his word. A step of faith. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Take a step of faith. Notice verse 20. Verse 20 says, And they arose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. Remember, God said, In the morning, do this. And so in verse 20, that's what they do. They take a step of faith. They follow God's instruction. Now, let me just say this. It's not natural. And if any Christian says, oh, I just love to follow anything God says. Well, a kind way of saying it is you're lying through your teeth. It's hard to take a step of faith. But we always ought to do it. We always ought to do it. It's never easy. It's never easy. God always tells us to do something. And when it takes faith, faith is a stretch. And yet that's what God loves. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so every time we exert faith, it is not easy. I don't care how long you've been a Christian Because every time God wants you to take a step of faith, it's bigger and further than he's ever asked before. Because if you're doing something you just did a week ago, it doesn't take faith. And if it doesn't have faith, it doesn't please God. So God doesn't say just do what you did last year. He says do more. And you go, oh, but Lord, I, I, I don't know how, but Lord, I... That would take faith. Yeah, I know. That's why I told you that. Because I like faith. Because when we exert faith, we're not depending on us or our resources. We're depending on God. And God says, I like it when my children depend on me. That's why God loves faith. He loves it when his children depend on him. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. It takes a step of faith to praise God before the answer comes. Notice verse 21 and verse 22. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army to say, Praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, not after the battle, before the battle, they're praising God, they're singing, Lord, you've got this. The Lord sent ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were common to Judah, and they were smitten. 
The Bible says in verse 24, And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked upon the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. See how God came through? He slayed them, just like Sennacherib's army. And they awoke, and they were all dead men. I don't know how you awake and you're dead, but they woke. They were all dead. And here he comes to these kingdoms that came against Israel, and God slayed them in the wilderness, and they just looked over and said, well, they're all dead. God has a supernatural way. Remember that the answer will come. When you don't know what to do, just look up. When I was a teenager, one teenage girl at camp told me, Mike, the uplook is always better than the outlook. I found that true. Your circumstances may not look good, but the uplook is always better than the outlook. You look to the Lord, He's got the answer. You wait patiently, He will tell you what to do. He'll solve your problem. You don't know how you're going to pay your college bill? God can do that. You don't know how you're going to make a mortgage? God God knows all that. You're not sure about relationships? God's got an answer. You just got to wait on him. It's not always the answer we want. But it's always his answer. And we just have to follow his instructions. I hope tonight is taking this message from Jehoshaphat, and I hope all of us can apply it at different areas of our life. I don't know where you are in life, but I am confident in the fact that every single person will have several times in the journey of life when they come to a particular problem and they don't know what to do. So maybe it's not all your relatives against you like Jehoshaphat. Maybe it's not the whole neighborhood. But there's a problem that comes up in your life and you don't know what to do. God's got it. You just look to him. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart about your need, about where you are in your life. And quite frankly, you could be in an area of life where everything is, everything's great. I, I think that's where I am. And maybe you're there, but, but you won't always stay there. And there'll be times where you will have to humbly go to God and seek his face. Father, I pray that you'll speak to all of our hearts. I pray that this would be a practical truth from your word that we could follow, we could emulate what Jehoshaphat and Israel did. And so, Father, I pray that you will help us to apply this to our lives and help us store it away for the days we'll need it. And I pray that you'll bless that individual who perhaps even now 
is going through a trial or a dark valley or a tunnel. And Lord, you know their situation and you've got it. And you're going to resolve it and you're going to deal with it. And they're going to come out victorious on the other side, praising your name. Father, I pray that in faith we would just trust you and do what we know is right and just trust you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. If God's speaking to your heart, you can come to Old Fashioned Altar. You can stand where you are and pray. But I hope everyone will talk to the Lord about some needs in your life, whatever situation. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here tonight, and uh, such a joy to see each and every one of you. I was telling someone before the service, we get the smallest crowd, uh, <laughs> Awanas and then the teenagers upstairs, but uh, we still get to study God's Word just like they do, and I enjoy every bit of it. God bless you, and you're dismissed.